You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal I saw from them was the Science Fair, which is a parallel classic drive and distortion. And now they've released a new parallel concept called the Class Reunion. The Class Reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their Trash Panda, which is like a soft clipping, high gain, amp in a box style circuit. And it is a super, super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options, parallel blending. It's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com. That's summerschoolelectronics.com and check them out today. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I hope things are great in your neck of the woods. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode. And also, I would like to tell you that you need to check out Sinusoid, Sinusoid Custom Guitar Cables. You know, these guys have been supporting us for a really long time, and if you've been a listener of the show for, you know, any length of time, you've surely heard of... Whoa, I did that whistle thing. I don't think I can do that again if I tried. You've surely heard about Sinusoid and all their wonderful offerings, and I'm sure that you've heard about my personal favorite, the Sliver Patch Cables. I see a lot of people going the solderless route, which they, they offer that too, if that's your cup of tea. But what I love about the Slivers is they're almost as small as a solderless cable, but they're actually soldered. So, you know, that makes it a little more secure. You know, people have a little bit of mixed reviews on, on solderless kits from various manufacturers. But I, I like the security of having the Slivers on board. So if you check out the Sinusoid Slivers, you will have the tidiest, tightest, and most reliable patch cable on the market. So make sure you check it out and go to sinusoid.com and oh yeah, did I mention they have a hundred year warranty? So if anything should go wrong, just hit them up. They'll make it right. They'll fix you up, you know, for a hundred years. So as long as you're not a, you know, a member of the undead, you should be dialed in very nicely. Sinusoid.com. We are also brought to you by the ever wonderful, ever glorious, ever awesome Gun Street Wiring Shop. I'm really excited. My good friend and occasional co-host, Mr. Justin Porter, got his harness in for his Schecter Ultra 3 recently, and I think there's some fanciness going on there. So I'm really excited to check it out and see... See, I've played that guitar before. I'm excited to see what it does with the upgrade. And I know Sean was really, really awesome in dealing with kind of a complicated construction, or, yeah, a complicated build, rather, on this one. And he... He helped my good buddy out the whole time, and as usual, went way over and above the typical customer service, because that's just the kind of company that Gun Street is. So if you've been looking to squeeze some new sounds out of your guitar, you want to get some some crazy mods going in the electronics department, or if you're just looking to upgrade with some better components, better pots, blah, 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 all that stuff, Gun Street Wiring Shop is the place to go. They will fix you up, great people, making great products, and... What more could you possibly ask for from a company? So make sure you go to GunStreetWiringShop.com today and check them out. And lastly, I'd like to remind you about a way you can help keep the mics hot over here and feed your gear habit at the same time. 
All you have to do is use tonemob.com slash reverb for all of your reverb shopping needs. I know a lot of you buy things on reverb all the time, whether you're buying, selling, whatever you're doing, anything you do on reverb, if you use that link a little bit, it comes back and helps support the show. And if you've never heard of reverb before somehow, just simply going to tonemob.com slash reverb and signing up for an account actually helps put wind in the sails too. So you don't even have to buy anything if you don't have an account. That will That's an easy thing you can do. And then when you do decide to shop on Reverb, just use that link every time and a little bit of your purchase will come back to help keep things going around here. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. It doesn't complicate the process any more than just using that link. And we'll put that in the show notes of every episode so it's nice and easy to just click through. And if you have anything you've been looking for or anything you've been eyeballing, make sure you do your shopping through that link and that will help keep us going for long, long time. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Trey from Retroactive Pedals. Boom. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Trey Bourgeois from Retroactive Pedals. What's going on, man? Hey, dude. What's up? Oh, you know, just uh, living the dream up here, uh, just uh, hanging out in the shred shed, and I'm, I'm buckling in for a big podcast marathon today, so it should be a good one. Oh, uh, you have more people to interview? Yeah, I got some more more coming up in the, you know, I probably won't be moving much from this spot for the next right. few hours, so... A true hustler. It's, uh, it's, you know, I try to, I try to just take people when they're available because, you know, everyone, everyone's busy. Everything, one's got stuff going on. And yeah, dude, I totally, I want to, I want to accommodate. Yeah, I know that. It's like trying to wrangle up all my friends to do stuff. Everybody's busy, you know? Mm hmm. It's, uh, the world we live in these days, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Well, let's dive right into it. Let's uh, let's uh, hear your, you know, your musical backstory and how you got to be doing what what you're doing. I know we talked about it a little bit off the air, and it sounds like you've got quite the history. So let's uh, start from when you were a wee lad. Sure. Um, so it all started in about fifth grade. Um, you know, I tried out for the marching band, um, and I tried out to play drums. So I was, so I was on the drum line. I made it. And then I essentially played drums from fifth grade until I was um, in 12th grade. And so that was a lot of drumming, a lot of band, a lot of marching band. Um, after that, my high school teacher offered, I guess this was about when I was like 17 or 18, um, my high school band director offered uh, this like beginner guitar class at school. And so I signed up because, you know, I knew him well. He's a nice guy. So I signed up for the, uh, you know, beginner guitar class. And that's kind of where all the, the guitar stuff really started. Um, learning like, you know, just your basic chords and whatnot. And that's kind of how the music thing kicked off. And then, of course, as you get older, you, you know, try to be in bands and stuff. And I was in a couple of bands in college playing drums. I've never been in any bands playing guitar. Um, guitar is 
started off as like a hobby, I suppose. And it just sort of snowballed into sort of being the best of both worlds. You know, I could play drums and guitar, but I primarily play drums, believe it or not. I'm finding that's the that's to be the case with with more builders than I would expect. Like they're making pedals, but a lot of them are you know keyboard players or drummers. It just is. It's kind of surprising to me, being such a guitar nerd. I would assume that to get into pedals, everyone is a big guitar nerd, but a lot of a lot of drummers out there. Right. That's what I would expect too. And um, I've also found the same to be the case as I've made friends in the industry and you know kind of just watched other companies grow and do their thing. Um, there is, you know, tons of drummers out there. It's, um, you know, just a great a community to be a part of as pedals are drumming is, um, it's super fun. It's a great release, you know, for energy and just sort of, you know, every, I think everybody likes to play drums and everybody likes the rhythmic aspect of wanting to play drums. It's just such a tough thing to, uh, coordinate physically. And it's just, unfortunately, it takes a lot of work just like anything else to, be accurate and decent at it oh yeah i'm i am i really like playing the drums and i'm horrible at it so <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about yeah you know i could be better as anybody would say but you know i i think i've honed my skills in decent enough to to be be happy where i'm at with my skill set at the moment that's cool that's yeah. cool that's always a nice feeling. Contentment's kind of a kind of a nice thing. Yeah, it could be a disaster too, really. <laughs> I found that to be true as well. Well Well, yeah, I guess if you go with the old uh the old hate breed record, Satisfaction is the death of desire, then I suppose <laughs> that you it could be viewed that way. Yeah. It's sort of like um I don't know, it depends how ambitious you are, you know, if you're like content with whatever it is, then that's cool, you know, that's a good place to be. I try to uh to the best of my ability, I try to, you know, look back on um, moments where I feel like I was content. And then like whenever you, you know, work past whatever it is and you look back again, you're like, oh, I remember that time whenever I wasn't as good or I made this or that. or And then you sort of see somehow that you've made a, that next step up. You know, it's like that's rewarding to me, you know. I think, you know, like I, I said, it's nice to be content and I I do think it is, but it's also, I think it's kind of important to try to grow in certain ways as individuals. I mean, you don't have to be better at everything all the time, but yeah. it is nice to kind of identify certain areas and, and work on them from time to time and try to try to be a little bit of an improved version of yourself. Oh, totally. No doubt. I mean, I, I try to do that constantly, um, you know, just reassess where I'm at and everything. And, and sometimes I like the results and I'm totally content. And sometimes, you know, I say, Oh, I could do better. Or I could be better. Or I can, um, strive to want more. And, uh, it's pretty much a delicate battle between the two constantly every day. Are there any, uh, areas musical or otherwise that you're looking at right now that you're like, I want to, I want to flex that muscle a little bit harder. Uh, not necessarily. Um, I do play drums with a group of friends right now and we've been in the process of just sort of finding our sound and whatnot. Um, I guess I've also like gave up the, uh, dream of making it quote unquote, uh, which is it, whenever you play music just for fun, it's super rewarding. And, uh, you know, I just, I just want to play more shows, you know, just to be able to, you know, I've 
collected all this gear over time, like drum gear. And I, it's just fun hanging out with my friends playing this style of music. Um, so I just want to play more shows and just be um, able to get more contentment out of, you know, playing drums. Just not like going to practice is fun and it's just as rewarding. But, you know, playing a few shows here and there feels nice to let other people like hear what you've worked for. And if, if people end up liking it, it's even it's even cooler. Oh, totally. Yeah. Getting the getting the feedback is is always. Well, I shouldn't say always, but getting feedback yeah, exactly. is generally a good thing. Right. Um, Neg- negative feedback. Constructive criticism is the is the word that people use that it's like what negative feedback is, you know, is good for, which is fine. You know, I think I can take some constructive criticism pretty well for the most part. But um, yeah, feedback in, in itself is also good. And uh, you've when you play shows, you just sort of uh, learn what you need to work on too. when you just go to practice all the time and you you're comfortable and whatnot. And you're just like having a good time with your friends. It's easy to overlook some of the the things that you might need to work on more. Oh, that's interesting. So like, like sort of the flaws come out more in your experience in a live performance? Sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because you kind of get that one chance to play the song, you know, if you know it very well, then cool. If you don't know it very well, or if you just mess up or whatever it is, 99% of the time, the crowd will not care or will not notice, but it's, uh, it's nice to, know where you stand with these tunes whenever you have a little bit of pressure on you. Yeah, that's, that's interesting what you say. And even though I'm, you know, I'm a big music nerd and I obviously geek out on gear and tones and sounds. I've, I've been, I've had a a recent experience where I watched a band and I thought they, I thought they killed it. And I talked to him a little bit after the show and they were like, oh, we we really weren't on tonight. It was wasn't it just wasn't good. And right. I was like, really? Like I watched the whole thing and it was pretty awesome. Right. Um, so it's it's a, it's also kind of probably just a feeling. And I think I know what that is. Like when the band is clicking and it's just on, like it feels differently. And uh, I would think that would translate a little more into the performance. But apparently sometimes it gets lost in the sea of bodies and rock and roll and whatever else is going on right i think also you know 99 percent of the time like i said if if nobody is really paying attention to the technicalities of a live show they probably won't care you know as long as they're not offended i think and they can like have a conversation with their friend and drink a beer and just sort of leave and not say man that band totally sucked then i think you're you did it (laughs) You don't have to play the best. You show. did the job. Yeah, you don't have to play the best show you've ever played. And I sort of like when we when we play live, which is pretty rare, but like we've played a couple of shows recently and you just sort of, you know, if you could go in with the mentality of this isn't the end all be all of your existence as a musician or what people will think of you as a drummer or whatever it is, you can kind of just go up there and play to most people that probably won't won't pay attention it's it's cool and then you just kind of leave and then at the end of the day somebody one person just comes up to you at outside or whatever and they say hey that was really cool then it it feels worth it right right yeah sometimes it does it just takes that one person that one that one attaboy and it just picks you back up right okay yeah as long as one person it was all worth it it. as long as we don't offend everybody 
basically, so my friend uh, Kyle, who's the main songwriter with my other friend Matt, they're really, really, really inspired by Radiohead right now. So we play sort of this kind of, uh, you know, break beats, drums, sort of dark, uh, vibey, kind of fast, kind of slow sort of deal. Kind of all over the place. Yeah. With lots of, with lots of moody vibes. Exactly. It's really, it's really fun to play just because it challenges me as a drummer, obviously, because a lot of these, uh, sometimes that they write the songs in the computer, you know, they'll record them together and then they'll come to me with this crazy, Hey, check out this drum beat we made in the box. And then I listen to it and it's just like all over the place. And then I either have to learn it or make up my own version of something similar. Um, but it's, it's been fun because I have a lot of toys now and I have this, uh, Roland SPD one pad that has like some digital sounds built in. And so I'm, I'm just kind of really moving my kid around in a weird way to, to get maximized sounds out of, uh, this type of group. That's very interesting. I, I never really thought about kind of integrating those, those two together. Yeah, it's cool. Um, my I have a main snare that I tune kind of low, and then where normally a rack tom would go, I have another snare tuned really high to have you know just different sounds, and then I have uh, you know my toms to the side. I have the electric drum. I have this really cool like hi hat thing made by a company in Louisiana to Shreveport uh, index drums. It's called the hard hat, and then you know two different rides for two different sounds. So. I more or less have the same stuff, just two of each thing to just really mix the combinations up together to have um, different different sounds. Very cool. Very cool. I'm going to get in trouble if we talk about drums too much. Yeah, I know. I, I, think, I, I don't like, want to be the like, guy, the drum guy. <laughs> we need to talk about your pedals, though. Yeah. How did you get started building pedals? Well, I really needed drum pedals. No, I'm just kidding. I... Uh, <laughs> I like anybody else or I like most people, you know, I started playing guitar and um, at the time I was just really into playing kind of ambient guitar at the time. I, you know, I was just doing a lot of finger picking stuff and a lot of uh, reverb basically. Like I just had like one pedal at the time. I think it was like the cathedral reverb by EHX. And um, I started you know, researching pedals and like, what should I buy? And then I finally decided I needed a fuzz pedal like one does. And, um, you know, at this point in time, I was like working in music production and I was a little more hands-on with gear and I was kind of diving into the technical aspects of just gear and just everything in general, music related. So I looked into, you know, how hard would it be to build a fuzz pedal? And came across tons of you know forums and clones and kits and i decided to just go for it and because the thing was i didn't know what kind of fuzz i wanted i didn't know what kind of sound i was looking for i just knew i wanted something that was distorted because i never played something like that before and that's kind of where it began and there was a plethora of fuzz and distortions out there so i just started from the most basic one and uh i stumbled upon at the time, Beavis Audio Research. And that mm-hmm. website changed my life as far as understanding pedals inside and out components, 
procedures, schematics, and everything was just like the layout was so nice of the website, you know, like if you have ever seen it, I think now it's like on its way back up, but it was defunct for a while. And I think it's now coming back up, but just his layout was like super simple, seemed easy to understand. And I just sort of built his breadboard project and that's where it started. And I built, um, a really like simple five part, fu- uh, I'm sorry, five, yeah, five part fuzz. Um, and that's kind of pretty much where I started. And then it worked. And that feeling of like turning on the, the pedal and it worked, it was a fuzz and it was just insane. And so that's pretty much where it started. That's uh that's interesting. So it's got, looking at your stuff now, it looks, you know, like it's, it's definitely evolved from the, the Beavis stuff. Um, I, I think a lot of people probably know that that website and forum or, or not forum, but that website through various places. I remember oh, yeah. when I, I, you know, before I was doing any of this, I, for a brief moment in time, I considered building pedals. And uh, I remember finding all this stuff in this, like, instead of like where you were inspired, I was overwhelmed. I was like, yeah. ah, geez, this is too much for me. It's overwhelming for sure. Um, but so then did you have any kind of a, you know, breakthrough moments? Did you get any, uh, any certain design or certain thing pop out at you that was kind of like an aha moment? Um, no, I think at, at first I just started building as many fuzz pedals and overdrive pedals as I can. I think I, I built like half of the things on that website uh, just to see how it worked and just to get my hands on understanding schematics and whatnot but i wouldn't say that there was anything that from that website particularly that just jumped out at me and was like this is the big thing i really like when i first started i really really got into understanding just different clipping methods i probably sat there for you know months on end and just did asymmetrical diode clipping just whatever regular diode this and that led that you know, just I tried every possible combination to just change the sound of this one. Uh, it was the Trotsky Overdrive project from his website. And I remember that. Yeah. One. And at the time, like looking back now, I, I don't know if it would sound. I ended up giving it to one of my friends, but um, I think that pedal at the time, because I didn't have an overdrive, was it sounded perfect to me. It was like, this is exactly what I needed. I like kind of low gain overdrives anyway for the most part and uh that one particularly just kind of stood out if anything and i just sort of going off of that i would add more um you know i tried high pass low pass filters on any combination i completely ripped out every part and put different uh values of every part in there to just i was amazed at how just one part could really change the whole thing um and as you know learning how to add um you know tone controls here and there it was uh you know just that one pedal really kept me busy for almost a year just going crazy on every part i could possibly manipulate in that thing to make it sound different oh wow that's that's interesting like so a year on one basically one circuit yeah i mean when i first started obviously there was no plans to monetize whatsoever like i'm sure almost everybody starts out you know i just truly wanted to build pedals as a hobby out of necessity for my own guitar playing and uh 
yeah, that, that one pedal kept me occupied for quite a long time. That one design. That's, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm sure you're not alone in that either. Right. That's just, I don't, I don't ever think about it, but yeah, I mean, even your basic, you know, whatever, pull out, pull a classic circuit fuzz face or whatever, like you can change that wildly with just, it's like put a different resistor in. Right. Like it's, it's almost, it's kind of, it's kind of insane how, how wildly different it can be. You know, it's funny. I've never actually ever in my history of building pedals have built a fuzz face. Really? Yeah. That's like one of the most uh, basic circuits, isn't it? It is. Maybe that's why. Maybe so. And it was, I mean, and Beavis Audio had, you know, three different kinds, I think, to build. And for some reason, I just, I also was really, really uh, addicted to building pedals that had less parts. Because at the time, you know, I wasn't really good at reading schematics or building huge projects. Um, So... I would start on the ones that had the least amount of parts. And I was just fascinated at how you can make something actually work with just a handful of parts. So then I was just trying to get as creative as I could within that realm. So, you know, I would stack three or four of them together in series. And then I tried parallel and that's whenever I was experimenting with the difference between the two. And I kind of just went down the rabbit hole of just doing a whole bunch of really simple, simple stuff to, a simple, simple design. And that's really what was fascinating to me. Well, and I'm, you know, I was scrolling through your Instagram earlier and I can see that that is not the case anymore. Yeah. So what made you, uh, what made you leap up? Well, I've come a long way from the, uh, Trotsky overdrive. Um, you, I just started building more and more, um, difficult projects. Uh, you know, I started trying, Pulsars from EHX. That one's kind of like middle of the road, low parts count. Um, just tons of other different. I, I also am really into modulation. That's where I started landing my, I guess, like my passion started to be in modulation as a guitar player. And, you know, everybody else was building fuzz pedals and overdrive pedals. And I knew that if I was going to try to create a company, more or less, or just a, a brand that excuse me, people would maybe understand or see at some point. I started um, just going down the modulation hole and that's kind of where I started um, building delays and choruses and anything that resembled any of those things. <laughs> Phasers, flangers, the whole, the whole shebang. I never built a flanger yet. I've I have built a phaser because um, I'm actually in the works right now of releasing uh, this new pedal called the Phase Colony, which is a phaser and an octave up in one pedal. Um, yeah, but I've never built a, a flanger before. Uh, maybe flanger was actually one of those circuits that I never particularly cared for, uh, even playing it. If I did play it, it's like super subtle. Uh, I like the very subtle flange, and at that point, I just sort of was like, "Yeah, what's the point of building a flanger if I'm not even going to really care for it myself?" Yeah, I I, uh, I have a weird kind of relationship with flanger. I used to not not like it very well at all, and then I got a, a Chase Bliss Spectre, right? And then I fell in, I fell in love with right. it, 
Well, you can't um, not. But I am very picky with it. Right. So, like, which I have certain ones I like a lot and certain ones I don't really care for that much. Right. I'm sure I would love um, Chase Bliss's Spectre. You know, all their pedals are just insane. Oh, <clears throat> it's kind of some nec- next level stuff, really. Yeah. I don't think they could build something that anybody could hate. If I build a flanger, <laughs> if I build a flanger, somebody could definitely hate it. If they build a flanger, nobody would hate it. Well, ironically, they, I mean, apparently people didn't quite love it as much as I did. It was my only Chase Bliss pedal for, for a while. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. But they, you know, I'm assuming they discontinued it because nobody's sure. was buying it or as very few people were buying it. Um, I'm also at least compared to, to the rest of their line. Right. I am hesitant to try because I actually, since I've listened to your podcast in the past, I remember, I think it was Jamie from Earthquaker said that his flanger pyramids wasn't really, I'm not sure if it did well or not, but I remember he basically said it's like definitely not selling like the other stuff. So it's a tough skew for sure. It's, it's really tough. Um, Cause it's very polarizing. I, 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 forgot and I was definitely reminded by some guys in the Facebook group that like um there's there's a there's like a level of, like just the word flanger and there's certain people who they just won't touch it at all. Um which is interesting. And because like, you know, as an effect I don't I don't really hate any category of effect at all because I feel like it all has uses in some way or another. Sure. Um and uh so it's it's interesting to me to be like, nope, I can't stand flangers. Um, I don't know. I, I I get it, but at the same time, like, there's got to be a use for it somewhere. Sure. I mean, my bandmate actually sometimes he'll throw one of those uh, boss flangers on his board, and he'll, uh, you know, put the settings a certain way, kind of fast, and he'll like use it with his uh, filter pedal, and he has like a expression sweeper, and it sounds amazing. It's just something that uh, I probably couldn't have figured out to do that, and make it work for me but he can make it work for him and people who can use it well it sounds great i don't dislike it at all i just i personally i in my playing style does not warrant having a flanger pedal yeah yeah i understand that let's talk about this uh this phaser that you're working on i that's i love phaser like i've always loved phaser i never needed to convince that phaser was great so i'm very curious yeah I that's I also started building pedals that I needed for my board. I mean, I, I would never build a pedal, at least for now, since I'm just starting out too, that like I don't think I would build a pedal that I wouldn't myself use on my main board. So that's kind of where all my designs begin. It's like what do I need or what would I like to have? And that's pretty much where the majority of everything starts. But Okay. Um, you know, I, I definitely had a phase phase 90 and I gave it to my, my, my bandmate, Matt. Um, I kind of was using it on the slowest setting. I didn't really care for it in any other way. So I was like, oh, I can part with this thing. Um, so I gave it to him and then I realized that as I wanted another one, I was like, I don't have a flanger. So I started working towards some ideas and, um, I essentially came up with this, like, I didn't come up with it. It's a phase 45, sort of, which is only half of the phasing. So it's a little less drastic, which is something I wanted to start with at first. And then I really just tweaked 
the uh, rate section because the thing is whenever it was in its lowest setting, I want it to be really slow. But whenever it was in its fastest setting, I wanted it to be almost vibrato-y. Um, so it took me a long time to really get the perfect value for that situation. But that's kind of where it started. And um, I, you know, I have a prototype made and tested and it's all good. And I have, you know, a small batch ready to be built probably within the next week or so. But that's pretty much where it started. And then um, I'm also, I also built pedals that are also sort of inspired by bands that I'm sort of feeling at the time. So this phaser pedal um, also has an octave up, which um, you can use them individually if you want. So you can have just the phaser on or just the octave up on. And then you can have them on at the same time. And there's also another switch there where you can um, change the order of which goes into the other. So you can have octave before phase or phase before octave. And that was inspired by um, Unknown Mortar Orchestra. They kind of have that psychedelic kind of like octave phaser thing. I know uh, Ruben builds a lot of his own pedals. And I remember he um, he built a green ringer for himself, which is a huge like DIY Dan Armstrong project. And yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I sort of uh, kind of got that pedal idea from from that band. And I kind of ran with it. And then I ended up finding something that I really liked. Very interesting. Very interesting. Are there any other circuits that you've worked on that have been directly inspired by a band in that way? Um, yeah, totally. I think that's sort of how like I start with an idea. It's like, what bands do am I listening to for inspiration? What bands do I like um, that have that sound? But um, my, my second pedal that I'm also sort of... Um, the the phase colony and this my second pedal called the diving bell they're sort of coming out at the same time um that pedal was pretty much directly inspired by deer hunter that's sort of just like very um echoey reverby delay sound mhm and so the the diving bell is is a delay that has just some some weird um glitchy settings more or less there's like a D I call it detuning, but it's really just adjusting the speed of the delay instantly on a momentary switch. So it sounds like it's pitch bending, but, um, essentially, uh, and there's also a volume swell on it too. So you can sort of just do some like kind of weird volume, volume swells from it. And so those are the only two band inspired pedals, um, that I have at the moment. That sounds awesome. Like really, really, really awesome. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have a thing for momentary chaos buttons on pedals, right? Uh, you know, whether they're running, you know, running away repeats or whatever the case may be. I, I really enjoy having that option. It's like just to accentuate notes or blast things out or, or whatever. It just, I don't know. I love that kind of stuff. So I was wanting to ask you, like everyone thinks of, because you know, you're down in new Orleans. We, we talked about that off the air a little bit. Um, and, you know, everyone kind of has this idea of New Orleans in their head, like, like, uh, you know, jazz and Mardi Gras and all that stuff. But like outside of the obviously thriving jazz scene, what what's the music scene like that down there? Um, it's sort of all over the place, really, uh, as you would imagine. There is sort of like a DIY scene for, you know, younger kids, but it's 
rooted sort of in, in my opinion, sort of like punk and ska in a way, and just sort of like a uh, kind of math, math rock prog stuff. Um, there's a couple of bands that are, you know, not so much in either or direction, like traditional, like that band, the revivalists is from here. They're, um, you know, they're, I guess what you consider a radio band, you like they've quote unquote made it. Um, they have a song on the blue moon commercial and there's a couple of bands like that too. Like hooray for the riffraff is another band that's sort of like in the indie rock scene. Um, a couple of comer up. I guess like that band uh, Tanking the Bangas um, and of course uh, you got the um, God, I'm drawing a blank on that dude's name uh, Batiste John Batiste who does the Colbert I believe Colbert show he's oh, from okay, here okay. yeah um, you know there's a couple of bands who are doing very well and but mostly you know it's the it's the working musicians town really you know you have your your club guy or girl and they're all just, you know, working from club to club locally. The um, underground scene here is, I guess, if if I don't know about I'm not really in the underground scene necessarily. But so there might be a thriving um, punk scene that I'm just unaware of. But as far as I know, it's sort of uh, all over the place. I mean, there's a lot of successful bands from here. A lot of bands that are good, too, from here. Um, they're all just sort of all over the place. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, because everyone just kind of it's it's sort of a kind of a similar thing in like Nashville. Like everyone thinks of it as this, uh, you know, country town and big, you know, big music industry town and all that stuff. And it is that. But also there's a whole other scene, which is kind of like exactly what you described. That's right. Totally outside of that. Um, and, you know, as and, you know, people DIY scene and people that are working in it and all that just sounds like very similar situation to to New Orleans. Right. It can be. I mean, as far as the actual musical stylings and whatnot, the thing that's cool about Nashville that they have on on us is like they're centrally located. So they're a really good touring hub city for like big production companies to, um, you know, like sort of. I suppose like have that's where their business is located or whatever. So there's giant like lining companies and audio companies and backline companies and touring is so bands can just kind of go through there and get it's like a one-stop shop for, you know, getting your tour bus, getting your tour together, rehearse, do this and that and the other. And then you can go in any direction you want from there, you know, to start your tour. Whereas we're sort of sequestered in a very particular spot and, all we have to offer is the music. And I, I think there has been talks of like, cause I do music production and stuff. So like, I know that there's been attempts to sort of try to create the same um, ecosystem down here, but you know, we're still just a really small place and we're in the middle of sort of nowhere to some degree. And um, our infrastructure isn't the best. So we can't compete with Nashville in that way, but um, you know, if we're just talking just bands and music, I definitely can see us competing with anybody, really. That's uh, that's really cool. It's really interesting. Uh, you did talk about kind of uh, off the air. We, we were talking about, you know, what you were hoping to do with the company and hoping to see happen. And it sounds like uh, there's a very much a spirit of like, we're going to make our own thing. Like you talked about potentially leaving, but then 
you you said no i'm gonna try to make a my you know kind of my ecosystem here improve and improve it sure. is that kind of the feeling of, of the music scene as a as a whole down there yeah i could see that being um i mean people fit into where they fit in you know they kind of play their own music and some people you know tend to I suppose, find a particular style of music that they think might work down here. But in reality, it's, it's 50-50. It's like, it's like, you know, it's just like anything else. Some, some bands make it and some bands don't. Some bands get a buzz and some bands don't. I, for the life of me, like there's so many bands down here that sort of have like a really big um, presence. And I'm pretty confused at how they're like nationally known because their presence is so unique and, they have a very like um big frida is a perfect example like they have their own style of bounce music that they've created and they've sort of um shown the entire world what bounce music is so in that regard big frida has done exactly what you're talking about like created uh an environment of music created a style of music that has been shown to a lot of people for other people to sort of get inspiration from and try to like do their own thing off of that idea. And some people do it better than others. Some people never succeed at it, but I think this place is um, the perfect example for, for people to definitely try to make their own, their own style of music because we have so many influences and so many festivals and so many, I mean, this town's covered in it. So like, you know, there's tons of world music from the Haitian and Creole environment. There's tons of, you know, blues, rock, obviously. There's tons of R&B and soul. There's tons of, I mean, you name it, they, they have it here somewhere. Somebody brought it here from, you know, hundreds of years ago and it's flourished. And it shows with all the festivals and just like the high spirited um, musical environment here. It's pretty inspiring no matter where you look and no matter what style of music it is. I mean. I get blown away just by some of the street musicians here. It's insane. That's interesting. Have you, have you lived down there your whole life? Are you born and raised or, or what's your story there? Um, I lived here for probably uh, approaching nine years. Um, I'm from Louisiana. I was born in a smaller town about 47 miles Southwest of here. So it was only, that's about, about an hour's drive. So I'm, I'm from the area. Um, have been coming here for a while, but I've only started living here, you know, nine years ago. Cool. Cool. That's a, it's interesting. Cause yeah, you know, having never been, I've never been, but I've, I've always heard from, from a few people that, that supposedly live there. They told me they did at one point <laughs> that there was a, there's definitely, you know, I, I'm Portland is not, uh, it's not what it used to be. It's overall in my experience, uh, it's overall very safe. There's very few like there used to be some gnarly neighborhoods and there still is some places mm -hmm. you got to be careful. But for the most part, it's it's pretty, pretty safe. Um, but I've heard that New Orleans definitely has spots where it's like you, you don't go there at night. Is that is that accurate or is it uh, is that overblown? Um, I think it's twofold in a way, because, yes, I'm sure there's definitely places that if you went after dark, it would be pretty sketchy. But. For people like us, I mean, we wouldn't have any reason to go there. So the places that would be too, like, too kind of sketchy, to, I guess, to explore, it's like, it's, it's just, it's nobody goes there um, if you don't have to go there. It's just like neighborhoods <laughs> right. where people live. Yeah. 
So like if you're just here and hanging out, um, you know, places that tourists go are people that places that people want to see. Um, it's no less sketchy than any other place in the world, you know? Yeah. Interesting. I, I always thought that was weird because it was like multiple guys told me kind of the same thing. Like, oh, if you go there, make sure you talk to the locals because there's spots you don't want to end up. I'm like, oh, I'm not used to that. Yeah. yeah, you'll you'll know if you if you get there, you know, I mean, you'll be like, man, I shouldn't I don't like it's just houses here and I don't belong here. You'll you'll know when you get there. <laughs> right. You kind of know you can you kind of tell if you're paying attention. Just you, this that's not a yeah. spot for you. And I mean. For what it's worth, you know, like there's been um, so there a lot of people here talk about like post Katrina and pre Katrina. I'm a post Katrina person, but apparently, um, you know, from then, obviously, a lot has gone up and has been built up since then. So areas that were possibly, um, I guess, not visited very often by other people or whatever are now, you know, being uh, redone and totally made uh, new again. And young entrepreneurs and whatnot are coming and building up all these things. So potentially those areas have been gentrified or whatever, and now they're, you know, visitable and people are having good times and, and what maybe was a sketchy place at one point or another. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's definitely what's, what's happened around here. And, you know, I'm not uh, arguing for uh, or against gentrification, uh, gentrification, you know, right. you know what I mean? But it's like, that's for the, another podcast. The, somebody else is covering that's, that stuff. That's somebody. Exactly. But the, the, the fact is like that there's certain areas where it's, it's safe to go where it used to not be safe to go for, right. for everybody. You know, I would tell um, everybody to come check it out. You know, it's a unique place for sure. At the very least, it's just like nowhere else on, on earth, you know, and I've been, I've been to a couple places and, uh, I'll still say the same thing. It's just like any other place. It's like, you know, it's boring when you're here and it's like when you're gone, it's you miss it. You you have been around. You you worked with some touring bands and things like that. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, so in 2014, I um, got on board with the Afghan wigs as their lighting designer and drum tech. And that's pretty much where I've done the majority of my traveling, you know, just like did some European stuff, uh, did a lot of North American stuff. Um, and that's pretty much what I've been doing as far as tour tour wise for the last, you know, five years. Um, I also, so, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the bulk of my travel and I've also done some, uh, touring with this, uh, really awesome, uh, ABBA tribute band from Sweden. I toured with them a little while. I got to see the weirdest places with them, like weird, like uh, northeastern towns that I've never seen before. And then, uh, you know, I've done a I've done a one off gig with Passion Pit before somewhere in Ohio. And that's pretty much the bulk of my touring. And I'm about to tour uh, coming up in a couple of weeks uh, with this band who just got back together. And technically, I'm not. They didn't release their tour date, so I'm not even sure if I'm even allowed to talk about it. So I, I guess I won't because I'm technically supposed to sign an NDA, and I haven't signed it yet. So maybe that thing says, "Hey, don't talk about this," um, but I'm sure it's cool. Um, so that's coming up in in a couple weeks, actually. So that'll keep me busy up until 2020, and then you know, whenever I'm home, I I pretty much just work at this backline company in New Orleans, uh, and I did a lot of drum teching there, got and did some operations management for a little less than a year 
And, uh, but I'm really trying to just focus on the pedal thing and hopefully that becomes something. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a baby. You have to, you have to nurture it and, and take care of it and pay attention to it at all times, which is a really strange, uh, it's a strange thing cause it's not a baby, but it feels like one at times, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, because it's so many, um, there's just so much stuff that I thought about that would come along with like trying to do it for real, like, you know, have a website and have a LLC and do businessy things, but it's really, it's nothing like I thought it would be like, it's, it's everything that I knew I would have to take on, but it's magnified by way more. Like I never thought about how intense the customer service aspect of it would be because I'm, I am just a one man thing. So you know, I was like, oh, no big deal. I'll just like answer some emails and keep everybody happy. And for the most part, everybody is happy. But I mean, the, the questions are just insane as far as like the volume of questions that you get. And it's nothing crazy, but it's just, you know, basic questions that people want to know if they want to buy your stuff. And you have to be willing to treat everybody exactly the same. And that was just the biggest surprise for me. It was the insane amount of volume that people have questions about. And you just have to find time to answer them all without, you know, putting it off too long where people don't think you're, you know, not caring about them or whatever. Yeah, it's it's hard because, uh, you know, the Internet is 24 seven and these questions, like you say, pour in all day, every day. And and you do want to show people you care and show people that you respond. But, you know, at the same time, uh, I've seen I've seen guys get ripped by customers or potential customers for not responding like over the weekend and I'm like, well, you know, these guys have lives too. Right. Like it's, it's like, I, I, I've, I've seen that a lot. And I've, I, I kind of blame, kind of blame Amazon to some degree because it's raised everyone's expectations for what an online company is going sure. to do. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, like, yeah, I've seen orders get canceled because they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't get an email back. You know, you know, they ordered it at seven o'clock on Friday and it didn't, it wasn't going to ship till Monday morning, you know, it's, it's just kind of crazy. Like they, these companies do have weekends and lives and things going on outside of shipping your order. Um, not to say that they should sit on it for weeks, but at the same time, uh, you know, have some patience people. Yeah. And for any customers out there, a lot of questions are pre-order questions. And the reason why I haven't really set up a pre-order yet is because, you know, it takes, it takes me a while to figure out how long, you know, how long it takes me to even assemble however many pedals I get. And I, I just sort of don't really like the aspect of uh, just like taking people's money and then making them wait for a long, long time. Um, and hopefully I can shrink that gap as I grow. But, you know, I, I just sort of want to have the pedals built, take the money and then sort of like have the pedal ready to be shipped like as fast as possible. Um, and some people are probably really cool about, you know, doing the pre-order thing and they'll wait however long if they really, really want the product. But, you know, there is the small few and I've had, you know, accounts from other companies that people will buy stuff and they're sort of disgruntled about, Hey man, I, I paid X amount of money, X amount of time ago and I want my pedal. And I just, I don't think I'm ready to take that on just yet. The, uh, that sort of like demanding 
hey, where's my stuff? So I just sort of tend to hold off on the pre-orders for now um, until I have like a better grip and a better system of how to um, crank out said pedal as fast as I can to where they're not waiting for too long. No, I totally get that. And, you know, having, you know, run a couple pre-orders myself, it is, it is uh, stressful at times. And, you know, honestly, like it has its advantages, obviously, that's why people do it. But sure. it it also is stressful to like, it's like, OK, I, I owe these people now, like where, you know, like I like to I don't like owing people. You know, I like to I like to be, uh, you know, squared up as much as possible at all at all times. And uh and it is, it's definitely stressful because, you know, there's things outside of your control. It's like, oh, my, you know, they shipped me the wrong, you know, jacks or, you know, whatever the case may yeah, be. Yeah, totally. Now i got to wait totally. however long, you know, to get the right ones. Yeah. Just things outside of your control. Totally. I mean, I, I've done that before where I've, I was supposed to order the nine millimeter, you know, PCB lug pots and I accidentally ordered the solder lug pots and, you know, that that put me, you know, back like a week or whatever to before I started building and especially just starting off, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be in control. I'm trying to just, uh, you know, take it in, in stride. You know, I'm not trying to revolutionize the pedal world right away. You know, I'm just trying to build stuff that people appreciate. And I want to also have fun too. You know, I don't want it to, as much as I want to grow the company and whatnot, I don't want it to smother me. So I'm also just, you know, taking it in stride and, and doing smaller batches, making sure that the product I'm putting out is something that I still like. And uh, even even though I'm getting like a lot of response so far, I'm sure that response will wane at some point and then I'll figure out what the next pedal is. But I didn't want to overdo myself and put out like, you know, 10 pedals and then sort of like figure out what who likes what pedal and I just want to sort of get a nice like three is a good number and sort of just, you know, put these pedals out until people don't want them anymore or people keep wanting them. And then I just keep building them. And I guess that's kind of just where I'm at. I didn't want to overstretch like this early on. Yeah, because the more skews you add in, the the more difficult it is to manage, too. And, uh, you know, it gives you got to carry different parts for different things, different PCBs, different bubble. It's just adds to the workload. So right. yeah, keeping it at a manageable, manageable, uh, level is, is that's smart to do that. Cause it's, it's easy. It's really easy to get in over your head, like really easy. Totally. And the thing is like the, also like as that's actually the most exciting part though, is like designing a new pedal, like designing the artwork, designing a new, like breadboarding is like so fun. And that's the part that you want to do the most, I think. And cause it's not really that fun to, build all these pedals and then, you know, put them in a box and do the business side of stuff. Obviously I like it, but like designing is the most fun part, of course. Um, but at the same time, I just, I suppose that, um, you know, if, if I have too many effects or whatever, then it's just, it, it takes a long time to, to actually design a pedal. So that's just a lot of time that I could have spent, you know, assembling pedals too. Like it takes almost a year or maybe more for some people to design like a from breadboard to reality kind of deal so it's just it's it's just actually a really big commitment to sit down at the breadboard and like okay i'm actually designing a pedal now and this is what it's going to be you know surprisingly right, the right. phaser not- pedal came out way faster than i thought i couldn't believe it. it was like four months but i 
you know, I worked really hard to just make sure that everything was working and I had the sound that I liked or whatever it was. I mean, it can take for forever. I mean, uh, it can take so long, especially when you're you're focusing on getting things right or trying to create new sounds or or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's even things that appear to be simple on the surface of them can be incredibly difficult to get off the ground. Sure. Um, it, you know, and the, the amount of time that goes into thinking of a name, you know, <laughs> yeah. the graphics, like it's crazy, like yeah. how much time and effort actually goes into right. into some of this stuff. And I would love to basically be able to have a, a group of people to work with at some point and like, you know, hey, you guys do the artwork. Hey, you guys take care of the shipping. You guys do this and I'll it'll free me up to do more, uh, you know, just administration, I guess, or whatever it is and building but you know i'm probably a really long way away from that so and that's a pretty realistic i'm i'm hip to that idea already so i'm just kind of just doing everything myself at this point um so i don't want to just burn myself out you know i see so many companies sort of post online um companies that are really cool you know and they have really cool stuff and they're just like hey you know unfortunately we gotta shut it down for whatever reason it is and i'm sort of like just starting so i'm pretty terrified of that post or whatever like oh i gotta stop building pedals now because i just got in over my head and um you know i'm just sort of no i'm 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 trying to avoid that as much as possible yeah i mean and well i'm looking ahead the way you are is is a good way to do it because a lot of things that um or one of the biggest things that people struggle with sometimes is not doing everything themselves. So the fact that you're already kind of hoping that that's going to be the case is is good. Some people just they have a really hard time letting go of the things that they used to do. Right. And that can be can really hold back a company. And that that's a true in in any business, really. Yeah, I luckily my my boss at the backline company, he's a really good friend of mine too. He's given me so much good advice on that exact thing, you know. He started his own company whenever he was pretty young and he went through the same sort of thoughts and he's, he's such a good manager and he had a, it was hard for him to sort of uh, create new jobs for other people to take stuff off his plate. But over time he was obviously like, Hey, that was like the best idea I've ever had or the best thing I could have done for myself. And as long as you're putting it in the hands of people you trust or people that understand your vision or whatever, and you obviously have meetings and whatever it is to be on the same page, but that's pretty much the goal at some point. Right, right. So I want to ask you something uh, that I've got starting to get a Rolodex of of, of uh, end questions here, which is, you know, they're kind of fun to cycle through. But one that's been requested a lot is this one. And it is, what is your favorite boss pedal? My favorite boss pedal? Interesting. Um, I would probably have to say... Well, there's two choices that I could say. One would people would roll their eyes and then the other people would be like, okay, that makes sense. The one that people would roll their eyes at would be the Boss TU3 pedal because I, I think that's like the most widely used pedal that I've ever used probably for the last couple of years until I got a new tuner. But I'm a huge fan of the CE2. I mean, I just love Chorus. I, I can't get, I get enough of Chorus. Although I've actually, the only Boss pedal I've ever, I'm sorry, the only boss pedal I've ever actually bought with my own money 
was a Terra Echo. How'd you like it? I haven't played one of those. Um, it had its moments, you know. It had a um, a cool hold function that you can sort of like freeze your sound. Um, but I I eventually just kind of got over the got over the sound of it. It just didn't do what I thought it would do for me over time. But um, I just also gave it to my to my friend in the in the band, and he uses it, and it sounds cool for what he uses it for. But very you know, cool. Yeah, boss pedals definitely are. Um, Josh of JHS is like super into boss pedals and he said it pretty well. He's like, you know, people can hate on boss, but they're, you know, they make pedals better that have stood the test of time. You know, they're, they're just a good company and they make solid products. And I'm, I don't own any boss pedals anymore, but you know, they're, they're, they do what they do and they do it well. Well, and they're built like tanks, you know, like sure. you could, chuck it off a building it's probably still going to work yeah. and you know the overall design of them you know the compact pedal design itself i think is like it was way ahead of its time like, totally just simply like keeping the battery separate so if it leaked it's not going to ruin the circuit board right like who would have thought of that and like, they're amazing diy pro- projects like you know i've modified i modified so many overdrive pedals to there was this one mod i, f- I forgot how you do it but you just basically jump two things together and you basically have this crazy just synth pedal, and Interesting. I put it on a switch, and that way when you you could turn it off if you want, but you know you have, and you can just twiddle the knobs and make this like crazy just like synth, like kind of weird synthy pedal, and it sounds pretty cool. I, you know, I just ended up giving that to my friend too. <laughs> I give a sounds lot of like gear I, to my friends. Like I need to. I was gonna say it sounds like I need to be your friend. Yeah, it sounds a uh, very very you know, good for gear hounds. You are my friend. Oh, well, thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Sure. We're, we've become, we've become such over the course of the podcast. It right. happens a lot. Um, so my next question would be, uh, this is, this is one is, is always interesting for me to hear what people's takes on this are, but it's, if you could put up a billboard and put anything on it and have, you know, a few thousand people check it out, what would that be? Hmm. I suppose it would have to be stop littering. Okay, that's yeah. solid. Stop <laughs> littering. Yeah. Not that I'm like a crazy like environmentalist, um, you know. I do hope our planet prospers at some point, but I just like I really 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 hate seeing people just deliberately litter it's like it kind of gets me me kind of mad and it's so funny like right you know <laughs> and obviously here you can like drink on the street and stuff so like it's just as you would imagine oh you can yeah you can i thought that was just what people did and people just kind of turned a blind eye but it's totally no, cool no. yeah it's cool like you, you know you know it's cool whenever you're just like going to the park or going to the you know picnic or whatever you have your beer or whatever it is but yeah, you know, I just see people like chug their, you know, bottle of beer or whatever they have, the hand grenade, and they just put their plastic bottle on the sidewalk. It's like, man, I live here and you probably don't. So just put your trash somewhere else, you know? Right. It's such an enraging I wonder thing. If it's a, I know. I get it. I get it. It's not really a, a huge problem around here, except for in you know, like a couple spots. 
And I wonder if that has to do with, well, A, people can't drink on the street here. Sure. But B, uh, I wonder if it's our uh, our uh, recycling program. You know, yeah, like, you know. Uh, they're, they're, 10 cents a, they're 10 cents a pop per, per bottle I do, here. Yeah, I do which remember is seeing that. Lot. That's great. I mean, you live in like the the liberal corner of America where like everything is really nice and you have all these programs and you have the money to afford said program down here. We're kind of like our infrastructure is kind of lacking in new Orleans, unfortunately, but you know, we have a recycle program, but you can't even recycle glass here at your house. Actually, you have to take all your glass recyclables and you have to go bring them to another place. So there's no glass pickup here. You can only recycle, you know, your, your basic, uh, other recyclables. <laughs> right. Right. Now I was, I was thinking specifically about our bottle exchange. Cause like, I mean, I know like I, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm kind of like you, I'm not a super environmentalist either, but I also don't like garbage everywhere. Yeah. Um, I do my part, you know, but I, you I know, recycle. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I could, I could see me though, like throwing more, you know, bottles in the garbage if there, it was like, oh, that's 10 cents. I got to put it in the recycling. You know, like it's 10, like it's kind of dumb, but it's like the 10 cents is like, oh, that's 10 cents. I will go through the hassle of taking this to the bottle return because it'll get me $3. Right. I mean, that's that's a great incentive <laughs> you know, of- for some people that are, you know, less fortunate or people that would recycle cans. Like there's tons of people who recycle cans here or pick up cans and they try to exchange it for money. But that bottle program is great for you know, it's just another yeah, incentive for people it, to do works. to do good. And you know, ironically, it does make the people who would probably be the worst offenders of tra- of throwing trash around pick up the the trash, which is kind of funny. <laughs> right? There's a lot of you know, there's there is a unfortunately, uh, it's a there's a lot of homeless people around here. Sure. Um, because because of you know a lot of the programs that you were talking about, it's like well, of course they would want to come here. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, not trying to talk bad about them at all. They're, they're in these situations and it's really unfortunate, but I, you know, like ironically, those guys are the ones picking up the garbage. Um, whereas in a lot of other places, they are the ones causing the garbage, which is <laughs> an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. It, it can be, you um, know. it's, I, but, uh, I mean, it still does, but like, it's just saying like, yeah, they're, they're always picking up bottles and cans. Like it's, it's kind of, kind of a strange difference in the two right. states i suppose all my experiences in the pnw are pretty nice they're all clean i mean i remember walking around like seattle and stuff and you know downtown I'm like man this is clean as hell <laughs> i'm gonna have to go down and compare i suppose yeah you got to man. i just just what i've gotten this is just what i've become accustomed to yeah it's um you know it, it we have our moments but and especially because mardi gras coming up man it's like insane like the amount of garbage from like beads and plastic bags being ripped off of stuff for floats to throw stuff and beads get caught in the uh sewage drainage system and clogs everything oh up. no yeah it's i think there was like a sewage and waterboard scandal here recently too where some like pumps went down and people were to blame and that's for another conversation too but yeah it gets pretty gnarly sometimes whoa that's crazy yeah well, we've, we're right there at that uh, at that hour mark, and I haven't I haven't yet asked you the big one. So I, I think I know what's coming up. I feel I feel like you're yeah you're very familiar. Yeah. Trey, what kind of pizza do you like? 
I am a standard, um, I like margarita pizza, you know, less is more kind of thing. Or I'm really hip to the pineapple jalapeno pepper pizza. Interesting. Yeah. Pineapple, pineapple and jalapeno. That's the one like when I'm That's ordering just for myself, like, you know, like if I'm ordering myself, maybe my girlfriend, she's into that pizza. But usually if I'm just ordering for everybody else or if somebody's trying to get a, you know, communal pizza, I, I just tend to say a margarita will do for me. Gotcha. Yeah. Margarita is a solid choice that I think it's not always the most exciting pizza, but when yeah. it's done well, sometimes it can be a little nice. too watery. The tomatoes are just a little too, too watery. You just got to sort of soak it up with Parmesan cheese all on top, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm that guy at the Italian restaurant that they're like, tell me when to stop with the cheese. And it's just like, <laughs> keep go- you just keep going. Right. I want that whole brick. I want that whole brick on there. Just keep going. Don't I ever think there's stop. like, I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking that happened on Dumb and Dumber or something like a movie that I remember somebody like started cranking this thing and they didn't really understand what it was. And it just kept going. And then it piled up on somebody's plate. I could be misremembering the movie, but it's that's I'm having deja vu. I I have a similar memory and I also cannot remember what movie it is, but we'll have to hit the Google. Maybe we'll find that out later. Yeah. Maybe do you have a comment section? Maybe somebody will chime in on the. uh, Oh, yeah. Somebody will chime. Yeah. Someone will chime in in the Facebook group for sure. Sweet. I'm sure. Yeah. Then just make sure you let me know. I would be surprised if they did. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. It was a really fun talk uh, yeah. with you. Thank you so much for having I me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. All right, everybody. For Trey, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. There you go. There's another one for you. And if you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, you might want to slide over to patreon.com slash tonemob where you can check out a whole another hour. Trey and I recorded a whole extra hour of conversation, and it was uh, it was great. In fact, I think it might have even been better than the initial episode. We touched on some very important and recent topics in that episode, and I think it was a one of the best Patreon episodes I've done in quite a while. So for just $5 a month, you get extra episodes every week, some of them quite lengthy, like this case, an hour. So if you really like these kind of talks and... If you listen this far, I can't imagine that you didn't at least get something out of it. Then you can slide over there and check all that out. But as per normal, thank you very much for tuning in. If you could share this episode with one friend, that would be massively helpful. You've got guitar players in your life, and sometimes you gotta you got to beat them over the head to get them to listen to a new podcast. I know, I know. I've been guilty of it before. My friends will tell me, you got to listen to this. You're going to love it. You're going to love it so much, and... Six months later, I'll finally get around to it and then go, man, why didn't I check this podcast out sooner? You know, they only told me 70 times that I was going to love it, and I really do. So hopefully, that's the case with you guys. Um, Thank you very much for tuning in. I know there's a lot of things you could be listening to, and you chose to give me your ears, and that means the world. So thank you very much. I'll talk to you next week, and we got some good guests coming up. So get stoked and have fun. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, 
and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.